I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Well, as you know, there's a trade war on right now between the U.S. and China. And if you look at the U.S. economy, you'd be forgiven for thinking they're the ones that are winning. Except the trade deficit isn't narrowing any. So as Donald Trump turns the screws even more, can the Chinese economy survive? Or are tough times ahead? That's today on the Debunking Economics Podcast. Well, since Donald Trump started introducing tariffs on China, starting uh, with steel and aluminium, but spreading more and more to other things, the Chinese currency has fallen over 12% against the US dollar. The US dollar, meanwhile, has been careering to multi-year highs. The Chinese renminbi fleetingly hitting uh, lows that it saw in 2006, but only very briefly. By and large, it's always been a lot higher than it is now. So, Steve, this first of all, this will be very upsetting for Donald Trump, of course, because a, a low Chinese yuan makes their exports cheaper, 12% cheaper, it would seem, which means a 10% tariff on imports is going to be largely ineffective. Absolutely. And this is one of the hassles about when you're trying to manipulate something other than uh, than a real estate bubble in your hometown. Uh, there's plenty of feedbacks that exist in, the, in this complex world he's finding himself in now that didn't exist in New York, and they can undo his plans. But it's not good for China, is it, really? I mean, apart from the fact, OK, yes, they can export stuff. Uh, he'll just put the tariffs up even more. We are going to see it raised to almost certainly 25% uh, from next year. But China doesn't want a low one either because, I mean, they've got lots of companies that have got debt in US dollars. So Wan uh, is pushing up their servicing costs, which I think is why we're seeing the uh, the stock exchange, the Shanghai Composite, which has really plummeted this year, 23% down. So, I mean, that's, yeah. a, that's a bad side effect for them. Oh, yeah, there's plenty, plenty of good and bad side effects overall. Um, but, I mean, China, uh, this, to some extent, what's happening now is a sign of China's success in the last 25 years hmm. uh, because... Who would have even, can you imagine the thought of somebody declaring they're going to put tariffs up on China in 1990? I mean, forget it. Yeah. It wasn't even an economy worth discussing in terms of the scale of it. It's a sign uh, of their success, isn't it? That's for yeah, sure. But absolutely. I mean, but they're not, but they're doing it all with their own money now because the, because the uh, stock exchange has started to tank. I mean, uh, foreign investors are bailing out. It's largely local money. That That's not going to be too healthy, is it? Well, that's, that's actually the standard thing. What they've, what they've successfully done is harness uh, – they've done two things. They've very successfully harnessed foreign money when it came to building the free trade zones and to bringing in foreign machinery and foreign technology so they had decent products to export rather than the crap they were making before uh, the end of uh, the end of the matter of Mao and her friends and Mao, and Mao himself, for that matter. Um, so they did very well out of that. But they've also pretty much just harnessed the local capacity to create money. So it, it's a combination of the two. And um, I think to some extent, if, you, if you're pulling out the capacity to bring in foreign money, buying foreign machinery, which is the main reason you'd actually want to bring foreign money in, in the first place, mm. uh, then China's dependence upon that has dropped dramatically. I mean, they need some agricultural exports, I 
I haven't actually checked that. I might take a look while we talk and look at what China's imports are. But uh, fundamentally, well, obviously, obviously, iron ore is a big chunk as well. They need raw materials. They, uh, you know, which is uh, which is why Australia's been doing so well out of them. Yeah, um, but there's also the, um, uh, the the fact that the, the machinery imports are extremely important for them when they first started operating because you know they they literally. They, they, the, the local technology was just garbage. I mean, mm. I'm speaking from having seen it because uh, I went to China in 1981-82 and was taken on a tour of a range of different factories to see what China uh, was producing at the time. It was they were attempting to do a bit of a sell job for the um, for the for the trans for the transition that Deng Xiaoping was trying to push through. But it was absolutely juvenile. If I have a look at the uh, at the, the the factories, for example, were taken to factories making light bulbs, and um, I can't remember if there was actually hand wiring going on, but it wasn't far from that. Right uh, now, it's incredibly uh, sophisticated, and and I guess and- I mean they're bringing in those foreign machines. Then you need to get them once, and this, of course, is where uh, Donald Trump again gets upset. They need to get them once to be able to copy them and produce them themselves. Now, this looking, this, I'm looking at the brilliant resource. I recommend everybody to uh, take a look at the Atlas of Economic Complexity put out by data scientists in Harvard University, not the economists, I might uh, emphasize. And <laughs> if you look at the uh, China's imports, um, guess what its biggest import was? What year were we talking about? Sorry, back in now, 2016. Its biggest import. It's not well, so not iron ore. No, no, travel. In All other right, words, okay. and then when you when you classify travel right. and tourism as an import, what right. it means is your Chinese tourists are going overseas. Um, so that's thirteen percent of China's imports, um, right. and then you get electronic circuits making up about ten percent, which you could expect because they can't they can't yet manufacture, and it looks like they won't be able to manufacture for some substantial time. Uh, truly advanced ICs. They but buy that, the that, that is a sign of an economy doing well, where tourism, yeah, people travelling overseas, yeah. is uh, um, is your biggest import. They've got they've got that disposable income to be able to do that. Yeah, and let's go back to 1995, which is the earliest which the, of which they have data to see what they're importing back then. Okay, and uh, no sign of tourism, uh, transport. Uh, ICT, yeah. with, the, with the biggest thing you had basically machinery, huge imports of machinery. Like machinery not otherwise classified as 1.5% of their imports. Uh, parts for office machines, one point and one and a quarter percent. Machinery for working rubber and plastics, 0.75. Computers, 0.73. And a whole mass of others. It looks like it adds up to about 15, 20% of their imports. But that was so, then. And, that and was then. Now, this is now. Yeah. This is now. But, you look at now, they're, they're, they're really, what they're importing fundamentally, apart from the tourism side of things, um, they're importing what they need to make devices they export to the rest of the world. But they're doing that with debt. So we've got Chinese debt of thirty six trillion yuan, which is um, which is about five trillion dollars, I think, and then we've got another forty billion yuan in local government debt as well, as far as we can tell. Yeah, I'm presuming a trillion there. Yeah, a bit of trillion. Sorry, that's right. Um, So um, I mean, they keep on issuing this debt. More bonds are issued. I mean, maybe they are bought by the People's Bank of China, so there's more yuan in circulation. But that that would be contributing to the devaluation of the yuan, wouldn't it? As well, if there's if there's so much money, and is that part of the problem that they are funding so much of this through their through their own government and just pumping more money to stimulate the economy? 
Well, it's got a common name. Massive QE, in other words. Yeah, but this, the thing is QE, when you're directed at the, at the actual physical economy, can, can mobilise that economy. And that's what we're seeing at the moment. I mean, this, 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 this comes down to how has China been effective? What have been the main factors? And without a doubt, a huge factor was importing foreign technology back in the early days of the industrialization process. But what made that more successful just importing this stuff is it was done deliberately with the intention of learning how to make the same stuff themselves over time. So they got their massive technology transfer. And they also required American companies uh, that, that took advantage of the incredibly cheap wages that applied back then. Uh, they had to have a Chinese partner and within five years, the Chinese partner had to own half the business. So they've created their own industrial class as well. And that means that the, the skill set they managed to import by bringing in the machinery and training the workers up on the machinery now means that they also have the factories and then the, 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 you know, the, the technological and institutional capability to make this stuff themselves. And I'll just actually give another bit of a, a quick summary of that thing about imports of China over time versus what they are now. In 1995, when you look at the one-digit level, 19% of their imports were machinery. Come forward to 2016, um, 12%. It's fallen a bit. Um, but now the most important by far is electronics, yeah. which means they're importing all the components for making computers, 20%. Services are 23%. That, that's where tourism turns up. Minerals which I would have thought would be larger too, is 13%. And you add in veg vegetables, foodstuffs and so on, that it brings up to about 20% in raw materials. So uh, it's, it's been a, a huge transformation in their capacity, capacity to produce this stuff. Right. So when you put, start putting... Um, but are they, are they producing yeah. this stuff for export markets? Because then that raises the question. So it's looking more likely than not that we will get to the end of this year... Donald Trump will get jack of it and will say, yep, we are going to push ahead. And the threat is 25% tariff on everything that comes out of China. And then he's going to get annoyed about anybody who tries to um, subvert that by sort of dealing with China and then passing on. Uh, he's going to try and stamp that out as well. This man has got a mindset that he's got to stop this balance of trade deficit with China, which is a big, you know, it's a big ask. He's going to do what he has. To. And yeah. so far, the US dollar is booming on this. The uh, Chinese yuan is down. And more to the point, as I said, the, the, the stock market in, in China is, is nosediving, 23% down this year. Mm. Yeah, I, th I think, it's, it's, I think it's, it's serious challenges for China. But I think, as it's been saying in the conversation, a lot of this is backfiring on America as well. Mm. And if you look at uh, like the electronics, you know, look, let's look at their exports for a moment at the, the same level of, of detail. Uh, I mentioned their imports were 20% electronics, their exports were 26% electronics. In other words, they're taking in the stuff and re-exporting. And of course, their export volumes are far bigger than their import volumes. So last in 2016, their export volumes were 2.5 trillion, their imports were 1.9 trillion. So the percentages are even more exaggerated. That's that's their trade surplus. But I'm sure Donald that. Trump would look at that, for example, and say, mm. "Yeah, well, a lot of this this uh, component manufacturing uh, in electronics can be automated. You know, it can be. Uh, let's just provide grants for people to set up those factories uh, in the United States, and let's uh, let's just take that business away from China." Well, that's partly, again, that's partly of a modern trend when you have the increase in 3D printing and machine control systems, computer, computer you know, robots and so on. But the thing is, to actually manage that, you've got to have a skilled workforce in the very first instance to install the stuff. And that's where America, by having 
done this you know, effectively pact with the Chinese devil, uh, reversing the old white. I was once called a white devil, by the way, which is a very, very funny experience in a China in a Chinese uh, in a Chinese theatre in Sydney. Uh, when I my 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 companion spoke fluent Chinese, I'll tell you the story later. <laughs> uh, right. But anyway, uh, so the Chinese devil. Um, they, they, the pact they've made meant that they got dramatically lower wage costs. This is the American capitalists. They did very nicely out of sacking American workers and hiring Chinese ones instead. Huge advantage in those days. Yeah. Uh, but what that meant was the Chinese workers got skilled up over time. And again, that come back to the comment thing from Scully. Uh, Apple was it Apple's boss called Scully? I keep on forgetting who runs the company. Um, but he, he said that if he held a meeting of machine tool experts in America, he could hold it in a boardroom. If he held the same meeting in China, he'd need a stadium. And that's part of the problem. If you're going to do this thing, well, you're just trying to pay, just paying well, paying pay well to come over from China into America, and it's mm-hmm. largely automated uh, these days. You don't need as many people, presumably. No, that, no, that's Chinese advantage. Do you, you don't, but you still need to. Inst- you still need people actually know how to put the machines together, and mm. you know, how to actually build the factory. To you know, you've got a, there's a lot of yes. Once you get the machines running properly, then it's very very smooth. But before you do that, it's, it, you need a hell of a lot of skilled labour. And this is actually Elon Musk has discovered this the hard way by trying to over automate his factories for Tesla. He's now realised he went too far in that direction. He should have relied more upon labour. Uh, skilled labour in the early stages. Now, the thing is, China can do that on a scale America cannot. So uh, Trump might think that might be the way around. He can bring, bring back with the mechanisation and so on. It's a lot harder to do that than it is to already have that industrial base and be able to build on it. And how, how important is the, you know, the value of the yuan in all of this? And, uh, you know, and, and how far is it being controlled? I mean, it, it's controlled to the extent that the, uh, the authorities say, well, it can only move within a, a very limited band uh, on a per day basis, a 2% band, basically. So they can say, you know, they, it moves freely, but with constraints, which seems like a, a sensible policy to me. Are they doing more than that? Because certainly that's the belief, isn't it, by the Trump administration that they are currency manipulators. Well, they would. They are in one percent, one fundamental sense, and that is that they're not letting the money created by the exports of Chinese companies to the rest of the world to end up in the Chinese uh, uh, monetary system as much as it would if they weren't sterilizing it by buying American bonds. So what you get is you get you know the uh, Chinese corporations export to America earn American dollars in return, tender the American dollars to the central bank, uh, get Chinese yuan back in their in their accounts. Uh, but rather than the money which turns up in the Chinese, uh, the American dollars are then used to buy American bonds, which comes back and means you've got a demand for American dollars as well as a supply of American dollars. And therefore, the American, you know, it, it doesn't change all that much. It doesn't change the relativity between itself and the and the yuan. Right. So, so give that to me in- again. So why? So uh, so you're doing business in America. You get paid in American dollars, and rather than repatriating that back to China, you're using it to buy bonds in America. What like a, almost as a form of uh, of hedging? So that yeah. Um, what what it means is you're not going to see the American dollar f- falling as much as it would. Therefore. And, you know, therefore, the yuan rising. So, so they're it, manipulating the U.S. currency more than manipulating their own, in a way. Fundamentally, and that's that's what people worried about China being able to sell other bonds and flatten the American economy. Not a problem because the American government has this thing that produces American dollars called the Federal Reserve. Yeah. So there's no problem for them in, in you know in being out America being able to absorb its own bonds. But a large part of what China has been doing is sterilizing the impact this would have on the on the yuan 
American relativity. Well, they, can't, they, they can't anyway. I mean, if they started selling those bonds, then those bonds would start. I mean, the the, the American dollar would start to die. If the bonds would would lose value before they sold them. So I mean, they'd be buying them for less and less unless they can simultaneously buy everything in one second, which you can't do. So no, the, the, the same same sort of band control that applies at the Federal Reserve. They want to keep the interest rate in a controlled band, and they they'd be buying those bonds to avoid. If China was selling, it'd be the Federal Reserve buying. So uh, you know, there's no. There's no easy capacity for the Chinese to hit the American interest rates, right. but they have avoided the, 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 the export sales driving up the yuan as much as it would have done if they weren't trying to sterilize it at the same time. But of course, this, this argument anyway about manipulating the currency, I mean, if they are, they're very bad at it because they, they want the yuan higher than it is, not lower, really, don't they? I mean, because for the, as, you know, as we've been saying before, there's for, for companies that have got foreign investment um, or foreign debt, I should say, for, you know, they, they don't want those debt costs to so they want the one to, to stay much, Do you have any – I don't have actually have figures on that, how much from China's private uh, debt is denominated in US dollars. Well, it's it's in the share market. That's been the main reason it's dived because foreign investors have been getting out. That's why we've seen this uh, this 23% fall in the Shanghai composite, composite. The one reason given to it is foreign investors buying out. It's almost now entirely uh, domestic investors in the Shanghai composite. Let's call them domestic placement speculators because they're not actually investing unless they're actually <laughs> using the money. You know. Okay, but you know I what I mean. Yeah, I don't think. Don't I think the. Uh, it's quite possible the Chinese authorities be very happy to see that fall on the Shanghai index because, um, you know, it's a. They're rather more sceptical about speculators than the Americans are. So just how, okay, aside from that, so the currency is is what it is, and we'll see how it plays out in terms of, uh, you know, th- this game that's being played um, in terms of trying to reduce that that balance of trade deficit, which, of course, is an impossible task. I mean, it's it's too large anyway to see anything. Oh, it's, it's, and it's, it's gigantic, yeah. I mean, and again, this is the... It's been an incredible success of the Chinese to maintain that trade surplus over time and industrialize their economy using it. Uh, and, the, and if you go to, if you've been to China in recent years, uh, you certainly if you've never been there before uh, and you went recently, you wouldn't necessarily see the change. I'm still gobsmacked by the contrast between the banks of the of the the Bond River in Shanghai when I went there in 1981-82 and I could literally see on the other side there were just rice fields. Um, I think that's the same thing as the southern side of the Bund. Uh You go back now and there's just skyscrapers. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, and, and the level of technology, the, the, I mean, the standard of living is supposed to be you know, lower than America. Um, overall, in most parts of China I went to, uh, which are the not all the mainly made you know, of course the major urban centres and it's going to the, into, into the countryside in recent trips, but you see a very comfortable standard of living. Thanks very much. Fairly widely, certainly more widely than enjoyed in America. Um, so why is it? Uh, why is all this growth sustainable? Because it is a lot of it is government money, which is which is funding this. I, I, that can't go on forever. I guess it can go Yes, it can. Yes, it can, mate. This is the story. This is where modern monetary theory makes sense because if you're creating your own currency and it's accepted for payments inside your own realm of influence, which in, you know, is normally a nation state, stronger nation states, again, like China, America projected even further, um, you've got an indefinite capacity to create that because nobody's ever going to reject getting one put into their bank account in, in China if the government wants to buy something. 
so that it's it's not the the government debt that's limited; it's the private debt that's limited, and that's where mm. I think that that gets more interesting. But the public debt, what they're showing is the effectiveness of following a theory informed by modern monetary theory, uh, or probably a monetary policy informed by knowledge of the capacity of the state to finance its own spending. And of course, because you're coming out of a, a communist past. Um, that's not a novel thing for the Chinese. Uh, they, they stuffed it up under, under Mao, of course, because with a centrally planned system, it's almost always going to fail. Um, but, and again, particularly even how heavy-handed the Chinese were, um, but when you're living in a market economy and when you've got that same state capacity to create money, it suddenly works because you're getting the innovation in a capitalist system as well, uh, plus the state providing the monetary facilities for doing that but it's when you start relying upon private debt you'd like to have problems and that's what's happening in china at the moment and what about local government debt as well because they haven't got that same ability as the central government to go to the uh, to the people's bank and say hey look buy these bonds off us presumably their debt's going to be a bit like private debt as well isn't it yeah that's 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 an interesting curling in china because i mean one thing i um was you know wondering is how do you where how how are the real estate speculators and there's masses of uh, if, if, you know, construction, as we all know, in China. Where are they getting their funding from? And it turned out a lot of it was coming from local government. Now, what was going on was uh, local uh, local government, local government also provides a large part of the GDP, and this is another thing which makes it a very you know, non, it, it's not your standard capitalist uh, economy. So the local councils in some cases are as powerful as states would be in America. And they will sell land on the periphery of their cities to, to property speculators. And I've seen this in a town called Dayang in China, which has got a population of about a million, million and a half people, a satellite suburb of, uh, of uh, I think the Shen, I think the Shen, not Shenzhen, it's, um, I've forgotten the name of the capital. But anyway, capital of Sichuan. Um, so a, a satellite, what are called a third or fourth tier Chinese city. And uh, my then partner had bought herself a place in a 25-story building with about 20 of these buildings in one area. Um, and then I was looking at all the industry occurring as well in the country and I was looking at those councils, where is this all coming from? It turns out the councils will sell land to the property developers. Mm. Okay, the revenue from selling the land to the property developers is then used to establish industries run by the local government, which are counted as part of GDP in terms of their output, bugger, bugger whether anybody actually buys it or not. So a lot of the GDP figures are rather rubbery because they actually involve yeah. these. Well, it's also very continue. short term because you're going to need, yeah. I mean, it really is a build and they'll come mentality and it's kicked off by land that you can only sell once. You're going to get that money from selling the land that one time. But, then, but again, because of the, again, I saw some interesting little videos and it's just put up on YouTube recently, people talking about the scale of the mm. building that's gone on. Um, if you're building 25 and 30 story towers, you can house a lot of people in the existing land on the periphery of, of you know, the, uh, the original town. So there's an enormous capacity to But do they have that. jobs? I mean, do they, you know, because I mean, this is the question, isn't it? The economy is growing, but is it no, growing, no, no, is it we, growing, we is it growing efficiently? Now, we know the unemployment is extremely low. It is, in fact, 4.09%. It has been 4.09% for the last 10 years. <laughs> we know that because the Chinese government tells us. Uh, <laughs> it's, that, 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 that is, talk about rubbery figure. That's my favourite <laughs> false statistic on, on the planet, 4.09. I mean, I love the precision, 4.09%, and it's been at that rate for about a decade. Mm. Um, but what, what is actually ha happening is 
much more complicated than that. It, it's very, very hard to work out what the scale of production is in China and how much is uh, you know, sustainable in the long term. But well, we do but, hear these stories, don't we, about housing projects lying empty, um, probably the same with shopping centres, factories producing too much. I mean, the dumping of steel was a, a prime example of that. So, I mean, it's it's not efficient growth that we're seeing in China. It's maybe just any growth is good growth, but it's not efficient growth. No, I don't know whether I think efficient growth might be an oxymoron. Um, <laughs> but but certainly what you, I mean, when, when you look at the quality of what's been done in various cases, not so much in the in the urban stuff. I mean, I've, I've gotten the photographs of the uh, the rather shoddy plastering work on this building I've, my ex-partner uh, had um, and, and, and unfinished properties. I mean, the, the property, there were about 20, 25-storey towers in this particular complex. And there were, I think I, I counted about 15 workers doing the gardens, which I'm talking working from raw <laughs> clay. They were building the gardens. So it was going to take, 15 workers would take a decade to finish the job they'd set themselves out for. So there are there's definitely the, the fantasy stuff does exist there. At the same time, when you look at the infrastructure they're building for high-speed rail across the country, it's stunning mm. uh, and far higher quality than anything that exists in America. So it's, 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 a mixed, it's a mixed story on this front. Yes, okay, you can say some of it's inefficient, but at the same time, given the engineering focus that still dominates how the Chinese leaders think and the, the, most of the Communist Party uh, higher-ups and the ones who want to become higher-ups come from an engineering background rather than an economics or law background, uh, then when it comes to planning something, they've got that engineer's attitude and they'll do a far better job of it than lawyer-dominated America. So, I mean, the saving grace then, I mean, it's often been said, you know, over, over recent weeks and recent months that, uh, that China is digging its heels in ready for this, uh, for this trade war and they've got a big domestic economy. So if, if America stops buying Chinese stuff, uh, it, it trickles to a halt. They've still got their domestic economy, which they, which they want to grow, which is basically, you know, close to, what is it, close to one in five. I think it's about 17% of the population. So let's call it one in five people live in China. So there's this huge domestic market. So a big mm. opportunity there. But if there's a lot of stuff being produced, but it's not being produced efficiently, so people aren't earning enough to be able to afford to buy it, Then and they've got the debts from buying these houses and whatnot, so the, you know, the household debt's rising too, then you've got a problem, haven't you? It's 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 you certainly haven't got a solution. It's, it's there's elements of the, the, that are a mess to it, but I think the the capacity harnessing the state's capacity to you know to to produce new resources using its capacity to create money domestically, um, and 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 not being worried about the level of um, private. Um, not believing you've got everything out of the financial sector, not seeing the financial sector as a servant rather than a master in China, um, they're more likely to be able to look at some, some debt problems that originate and and say so we're going to eliminate them, we're going to write the debt off and can keep the company operating by giving an equity injection. That's a feasible option for China. Uh, so they, it is, you know, I'm, I'm never going to try to pick China because that huge mess of, of both a, a centrally planned with a capitalist economy at the same time uh, makes it a very, very different kettle of fish. But to put some numbers on on that, the, the private debt side of things, if you look at the level of private debt in America versus China uh, throughout the, the period from uh, the beginning of the, the open, day, open door policies in you know, the uh, late, early 1980s, mm. the gap between the two uh, was about 50 60% of GDP. That was sustained right out until the global financial crisis hit when America's private debt level peaked at a, at 170%, and 
when China's running about 110. So a 60% of GDP difference between the two countries. You now fast forward to today and China is now got a level of private debt 60% higher than America's. Yeah. Okay, so it's gone to the China and America's down 150%, China's 210%. So the economy so, slows because there's a, a less demand for exports. That's a real concern, isn't it? And they pumped up the demand, well, they pumped up with credit. So, you, yeah. yes, it, it is an issue, and they, they are seeing decline. I mean, again, to put the scale of what that meant in terms of actual amounts of money being created, to drive economic activity in China. When America went from credit being 15% of GDP before the crisis to minus six in the middle of it, China went from 20, 20% when the crisis hit down a bit up to 38% of GDP. So they're massively dependent upon credit demand. Now they're going to be dependent upon export demand, but not to America. And I think a large part of what's happening here, and this is, again is one of the side effects that Donald Trump here in this case is his own side effect. Um, because he's been so disruptive uh, on every every possible front, um, the Europeans are thinking we have to reorient ourselves, and quite literally, they may they may orient themselves as a result and say let's build, let's build better uh, economic and industrial links with China uh, to get a countervailing factor against this rogue state called America. Yeah, and it is becoming a rogue state, isn't it? So, what, do mm. do you think uh, there's a chance then, given all of that? That, I mean, it sounds like you think China is pretty resilient, even with that 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 high level of of, uh, of private debt. And I guess it does have uh, growth on its side. In that, you know, there's a growing number of people moving into those apartments, moving out of poverty, moving into into the middle class. And we are talking about so many people. You've you've got that potential uh, for the economy to to grow in in total, come what may. And that's going to take decades, really, before you know you start to see that. That, that sort of number has leveled out and everybody is at a, you know, within a equitable range of, of income. Um, yeah. So you've got, you, you've got a long time of growth before we get to that. Yeah, and you also, and the other thing which is happening in China, and again, I, last time I was back in China, I think it was 2016, maybe 2017. And the previous time to that, I went through in 2013, I think. And the change in the level of pollution between 2013 and 2016 was fairly remarkable. Um, when, I, when I arrived the second time, my second recent trip to China was to go and give a talk at the uh, uh, what's called the Ecole the same as the French Ecole Normale, it's the Chinese Normal University, which tends to train the, the bureaucrats. And uh, the pollution levels were so bad that. My friends greeted me and said, "Look, it's blue. It's it's an it's it's an APEC blue sky." What do you mean by APEC? When they had the APEC meeting, when in, everything, in Beijing, all the industries turned off, they literally off. shut all the factories down so yeah. the air was clear. And this was the one one on one day and only one day when I was in in China on that trip. Uh, the sky was blue, so they call it APEC blue. Uh, but <laughs> but you fast forward now, and again, I was saying about one or two years ago, and it was also a remarkable, noticeable drop in the pollution level. So again, because they have a command economy approach, they know they've got to reduce the level of coal uh, pollution. It, you know, because you can literally you can smell you can smell the coal in the air. Uh, you certainly could in two thousand and thirteen in in Beijing. Um, now they seem to be – they're still building a lot of coal-fired power stations. They're not decommissioning it like they said they were going to do. But they are building an enormous amount of renewable power. And that sort of command economy approach means they can do it. 
Whereas in America, uh, you're going to rely upon the market to get you there. And at the same time, the state is actually stuffing that up, as we all know, but it's mm. slowing, destroying the uh, trying to destroy the, the, uh, the move towards renewable energy. So China's, you know, on, on that front overall, I'm, a, I'm a, a fan of what China has done. And I'm, even though I think they've got all the ingredients for a financial crisis with the level of credit dependence they have, uh, it's the other sides of the economy, the export surplus uh, and, the, and the government funding capacity, to realisation that it has a capacity to fund domestic spending. Um, that those factors, I think, weigh in its favour. So I can see it getting through. It'll have a credit crunch. It has to have one. Uh, but it will get through that credit crunch, I think, more effectively than any Western economy has done. Right. And this could all happen quite quickly. I mean, because the catalyst for all of this, for that credit crunch, could be this tariff war next year. It, not so much a catalyst, but that can be a little flame you throw into the, into the mix already. The catalyst is you know, the credit running out of steam. So if you look at the level of credit in China right now, again, as much as you can trust the figures, it has come down dramatically. It was that it peaked at 38% of GDP in 2010. The most recent figures from the Bank of International Settlements say it's running at about 21% of GDP. Now, that's still massive, but it's down substantially. And uh, it's got a long way to go before it hits negative. Um, but the Chinese debt level is nonetheless, given the cause of the rate of growth of the economy, the debt level seems to be levelling off at about 210% of GDP. Now, that's far higher than America peaked at, but I believe that peak is more sustainable because if they're running a trade surplus. So they've got you know, the other, the trade surplus plus government spending is enough to cope with the level of private sector deleveraging that may occur. Right, but if that trade surplus comes down because of the, because of the tariff war, then that's going to make it more uncomfortable for them. It could do, but at the same time, <laughs> Europeans yeah. are going to be very happy in. to, yeah. you know, uh, and, and of course, that, what that can imply again, and this is where, I mean, we really are an incredibly messy stage of human history here, because this is, in, in some ways, what you're seeing is the rise of one empire and the decline of another. Mm. And part of that, uh, the, the, part of the reason for the decline of the American empire is because they've insisted upon being the world's reserve currency and using all the muscle that gave them. Uh, and we should have gone with a, you know, a non-national system, Keynes's bank or and so on. Yeah. That was only going to be talked about. Uh, nobody would ever do anything about it until Donald Trump comes along and shows what happens when somebody, you know, throws that weight around. Now, if Trump actually comes along and says, we're going to use the SWIFT system, for example, to, to uh, penalise anybody who, uh, who imports from China, of course, he's done that for anybody importing from Iran, um, then we could see pressure from the Europeans and the Chinese uh, in particular, maybe also the Russians, to set up to a bring new about an alternative payment system. Yeah, yeah, and that could all happen. Well, it's going to be an interesting year next year to see how all this goes because it is looking very likely 25% on everything out of China. Uh, Donald Trump's almost certainly gearing up for that. Um, so we'll see how the uh, f- how the fireworks go. Good to talk, Steve. We'll catch you again very soon. Okay, Matt. Well, next time we're going to look at a UK Treasury Committee inquiry into household finances to try and find out whether we're saving adequately in the uh, current economic environment. Well, the answer obviously is no. Why is that? Well, Steve submitted a fairly lengthy explanation of why that's not happening, uh, which they chose to ignore. Uh, so we'll look at why, what his suggestions are, and what they suggested. Uh, two very different things. Next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen, I'm Phil Dobby. Thanks for listening. Mom 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.